This is episode number 73, Writing Your Own Life Story, with Richard Tagley. Welcome, my name is Oleg Lohid, and this is the Overcoming Outs Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to make a brief announcement regarding our upcoming event in New York City, Turning Your Pain into a Powerful Message. This is an event where you'll get to hear stories from four speakers. Each one has gone through his or her own version of their struggles. In addition, you'll also get a chance to be a part of breakout sessions. These are sessions that are intended to help you develop courage to share your own story and develop a community of others who have been through similar circumstances that you have. For more information, please go to overcomingodds.today forward slash events. Now, let's get back to our guest. It all started in his early teen years. He said, I was born and raised in Manila, wonderful place, wonderful community, had aunts and uncles who doted on me. My parents raised us, telling me and my siblings that we can conquer the world, we can be whoever we wanted to be. But as years went by, Richard Tagley noticed a change in his environment. Without further ado, please welcome... Richard Tagley. Thank you so much for having me here. But this whole adventure really started um, in my early teen years, 13 or 14 years old. I grew up, was born and raised in Manila. Wonderful place. Um, uh, Wonderful community. Um, Had aunts and uncles who doted on me. My parents basically uh, raised us. not wanting for anything, mm-hmm. uh, telling us that um, each one of them, basically telling me and my siblings that we can conquer the world, we can be whoever we want to be, mm-hmm. right? So it was wonderful growing up with all that kind of support and that kind of, of um, perspective that you can be whatever you want to be. But uh-huh. as I was growing up, I, I you know, a lot of them started... Um, honing me in a, in a direction that they preferred mm. that I take. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of them are in banking. A lot of them were having their own businesses, you know, so they, they were encouraging me to go to business school, finance, take this uh, course and um, study this, become this. Um, that as early as 13 that I was telling you, like, wait a minute. I thought you told me I can be whoever I want to be. And now suddenly the path started Become becoming narrow, narrow yeah. right? Uh, to the point where, you know, uh, my father, wonderful guy. Uh, I think he meant the, uh, he really wanted the best uh, for us. Really was telling me about, oh, this is the kind of course you need to take it if you're going to be successful in finance. Mm-hmm. This is, there are certain steps and the only steps you need to take if if you're going to be successful in this. Um, so I started questioning that kind of, of thinking about um, really I, I really need to go to this 
school, study this course, mm-hmm. take this major. Uh, those are the only options. And you know, even in 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 a personal setting about um, the kind of person that I was becoming, because at that age I already knew that uh, my preferences were different. That right. I was growing up gay and all of these things um, that somehow would be would not be in the norm right mm-hmm. and so wouldn't be accepted um, that all the other choices would be although uh, although they were open to it would be less favored mm-hmm. right um, to the point where in at, at age 14 I suddenly decided well I started questioning like when do I get to live my own life like if if I follow this path of what they were telling me then I would be living uh, a life that was dictated by somebody else mm-hmm. whether it's my my father or my mom or my uncles and my aunts um, when do I get to make decisions for me and mm-hmm. my life so so that age was like 14 for me was like a, a, a awakening kind of stage uh-huh. in my life you mentioned a lot about your parents and a lot of other people within your family supporting you along the way. Mm-hmm. Now, did they support you on all terms and at all costs? Or were there some things that they were not totally in alignment with? Um, my, my father and I had a very tumultuous kind of relationship because we deferred in a lot of our leanings, like political leanings, mm-hmm. uh, as I mentioned, in terms of, of where to go to school <laughs> because at age at age 15 16 I was already trying to figure out like where would I go to college right mm-hmm. um, and I was leaning towards uh, a public university that really has a very left-wing kind of um, uh, leaning to them and he was very much against that this is the University of the Philippines and said they were activists they were anti-government and mm-hmm. the government was really part of um, uh, the clientele that the that the family was trying to um, uh, to court at that time, and mm-hmm. you know, and my my father was running his own business at that time, so he he didn't want to shake that kind of um, he didn't want to shake the environment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I would usually envy my friends who would go to these rallies at that time. Uh, <laughs> Ferdinand Marcus was still president and they would go to these rallies and demonstrations and I thought that was pretty cool <laughs> not knowing how, how violent know part of this. <laughs> uh, didn't really realize how violent some of these things could be um, but I, to me it's like I, I want to be part of of a movement that was not only rebelling against the the norm but was really vocal about what they want to see, mm-hmm. right? And personally, that resonated with me that I I would love to be able to see where I can take my life with my own interests, with my own talents, mm-hmm. and not follow somebody else's or not follow a path that basically said, if you take steps one, two, three, you will be successful. Mm. Well, what about steps four, five, and six? Where would that <laughs> take me, right? Um, and at that time... Um, Everybody in the family uh, uh, was pretty much following that same that same pattern and routine. Mm-hmm. Even even uh, even relatives that have actually gone out of, of the Philippines to live abroad, um, it was pretty much the same. It, you know, location basically was just a different thing, but they, mm-hmm. were, they were still following 
uh, the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. The part that fascinated me the most, and that I remember literally sitting when you were sharing this part and just being mind blown because I it's it, it's one of those stories that you hear from immigrants coming into a country, starting with one or two dollars and then making right. themselves into who they are. So when you were telling the story of you were 14 years old and you had decided the life that you wanted to live, which was not the life that your parents were uh, creating for you, and you started to save up money mm-hmm. from Christmas, yeah. and then at 16, you decided to take the next step forward right. and book a one-way. That's right. So take, a, take us to that time. Sure. And then the other part that I'm interested in, that I don't think we got a chance to explore was, do you remember that last moment before you left your home? The what? Last moment before you left that house. <sighs> like, what did it feel like to actually literally be steps away from exiting that door and knowing that you may not come back for a little while? I, I was really excited. I, I, there was really no point in my, in my life up until that point where I was looking back. Mm-hmm. To me, it was only looking forward. Um, so I did save my... So I was hearing conversations. I remember going downstairs in the house and hearing conversations that my, my dad was having with his business partners. Uh, and suddenly my name came up and I was kind of curious, what are they talking about me? And, you know, I, I didn't get to listen to the whole conversation from beginning to end, but, you know, snippets of getting married mm-hmm. to somebody's daughter and all of that stuff. So... That was really the first time that I, I had this inkling that somebody else was planning how I'm going to live my life. So prior to that, I mentioned, you know, there was this um, um, leaning towards what school I need to go to, what, what major in college I need. Now, now that we're talking about somebody that I'm going to marry. <laughs> so that was really like literally... Um, changing changing the whole orientation for me so at that point i started making sure that do i have enough resources if it ever get got to a point where i had to be on my own would i be able to um, um, take care of myself so christmas money summer jobs all these things kept tally of everything and i remember when uh, i told you i spoke to my grandmother who uh, who basically says, well, if you can take the heat, then leave. So, uh-huh. so I left. Um, and there was really no point wherein I would, I would second, at that age, I wasn't second guessing any of these decisions. I literally had to go away uh, if I was going to live my life uh, where and I was And probably your grandmother's decision also gave you some like permission. That, yeah. Like, yeah, maybe I can. There was, there was a, that was, that was like, she didn't tell me. Uh, there's a there's a funny story about this because um, she was the one who gave me the idea that I could go, right? Huh. Um, to me, it was like, well, if I left, if if I was on my own, where would I go? Um, she was the one who told me, who brought the idea to my head that I I could literally go. Um, and be on my own. Uh-huh. But uh, when I was knocking on her door, so she lived in Hawaii. Um, so I, I flew to Hawaii from Manila. 
the literally the moment I got to her doorstep, she says, "What are you doing here?" I said, "You told me to leave." Well, yeah, but I didn't tell you to come here. <laughs> uh, so if you want to be on your own, you need to be on your own. You have to dignify the decision to be on your own. And, you know, and I was sixteen, and she says, "You know, you need to get a job. You need to take care of yourself because if you cannot do that, then that means you have to go back home." Mm. Um, that conversation literally. Uh, changed my outlook of oh my god yes um, if I really wanted to build my own path mm -hmm. then I really have to start paving it I, I can't depend on anybody else mm -hmm. uh, even my grandmother or even my aunts and uncles and and at that point I realized although people were willing to help it was really up to me I made this decision mm -hmm. so the consequences was really mine mm -hmm. um, and I don't and people often ask me how did you come up with that kind of outlook in life at age 16 to be honest I don't know um, um, I didn't know what the world was like I was coddled you know everything was given to me you know every you know I would wake up in the morning there's breakfast on the table and I open my closet there's clothes in there and mm -hmm. if I need to go somewhere there was a car that would take me right so to me I didn't have to figure out anything mm -hmm. in life and then suddenly this decision to live my own life opened that all up like okay how are you going to figure out everything <laughs> how are you going to put breakfast on your on the table when you wake up how are you going to have clothes in your closet how are you going to get from point a to point b and it was tough it was but um i was ready there it would be sh <laughs> the thing that actually uh hit me was it would be shameful for me to suddenly go back to my parents and say you're right to me that was like literally i would rather die <laughs> i would rather die than go back home and say you were right um i don't know how to do this um so that that and, and that that ego kind of centric approach to uh being on my own literally was the one that um uh that forced me to move forward uh -huh. Even up to those, I'm 54 now. Like uh -huh. even up to this point, there were times when I I specifically remember times between being age 16 and being age 50, wherein I look back in my life so far, there were literally points wherein I I was already willing to give up, right? And there was always that 16 year old in me that says, "You don't want to go home and say <laughs> you were right. Say to your parents, you were right." How much? Um, how much did you have to? So you booked that trip. You, I think you were telling me like seven hundred dollars. Yeah. Something. Um, I I had I remember I had about less than four hundred dollars. Okay. By the time I got to Hawaii, and when I moved to San Francisco, um, I literally had less than one hundred fifty bucks, and I spent fifty of that on a bike, um, you know, so that I could go around uh, the city. Um, so it was as a sixteen-year-old to have to have that much money. You think you're the richest person in the world. You've never had that <laughs> much money in your pocket. Uh -huh. um, so to me, the consequences of not having any money wasn't still wasn't sinking in uh -huh. um, because to me that thousand bucks was a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. So it take me to a time when you had you were at your grandmother's footsteps. And you were explaining who you were and why you chose there, and then you moved to San Francisco. Francisco. 
So why did you end up going to San Francisco out of all the places? And how did you end up starting yourself up in that city? Because um, I couldn't depend on my, my grandma in, in Hawaii. She basically told me that if you want to be on your own, be on your own. I'm not going to be the one taking care of you. Right? <laughs> this is not like, you know, you left one home to go to another. Um, no, sir. If you're, if you're going to be in somebody's home, you're going to be in your parents' home. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even my mother in Hawaii basically was trying to convince me to go back home. And I said no. Um, and the prospects for jobs in Hawaii was either um, being a waiter or being a lifeguard. Like, like that, those were my work options, uh, neither of which I wanted to do. So I flew to San Francisco where I knew some people. Um, one of my best friends, uh, his sister lived in San Francisco. So I stayed with her for a while. Um, yeah, so San Francisco, San Francisco was only a destination point primarily because I needed to work and I needed to be in a city where I knew somebody. Okay. All right. How did you get the first job? Um, I literally went... Because you were underage at the time. I was underage. And I don't know if I'm supposed to be talking to you about this publicly, but I was I was literally like 16 and a half, almost 17. Um, nobody would hire me because I, I was underage. Uh-huh. And so I w- literally went on uh, Market Street. There were buildings on Market Street downtown in San Francisco. I literally would go from building to building asking people if there were any job openings. Uh-huh. Um, and... You know, every time or, you know, if there was some level of curiosity on their part to ask me, like, what I can do and all that stuff. And then suddenly it's the, how old are you? And I would say, you know, I'm 16 and a half or, you know, shouldn't you be in school? That sort of thing. <laughs> so nobody would hire me until to the point where I went to another office building. And when they asked me how old I was, I said I was 18. So they asked me to fill an application. This was uh, a temp agency. Um literally asked me, um, can you type six, 65 words per minute? And I said, yeah, uh, no, can you type 65 words per minute? I said, I can type 65 words, yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so they sat me at a desk with a typewriter, handed me a letter and said, copy this. And it was literally like on the, on the keyboard, on the typewriter, typing like with two fingers. And the guy said, I thought you said you could type 65 words per minute. And I said, no, I said, I can type 65 <laughs> words. I will get there. Give me time, right? Um, literally just filled out an application. And, you know, there were all sorts of things about, you know, what's your social security number? And I said, um, I forgot it. So I went back to my best friend's sister and I asked her, what's a social security number? <laughs> and she told me how to get one. So I had to go back to the agency the next day to give, to give them a social security number. They assigned me to this. Um, the, my first assignment uh, was to deliver packages. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, they told me to go to this company on Embarcadero in San Francisco. I went there the next morning uh, they told me, they asked me, okay, the assignment is, you know, you're supposed to deliver packages every day for the next uh, couple of weeks. Um, do you know your way around San Francisco? I said, yes. I've, I've only been there, you know, I think less than a week. I hardly knew uh, where everything was. So they asked me, do you know your way around San Francisco? I said, yes. Do you have a bike? I said, yes. All right, come back here tomorrow morning. There will be packages that you need to um 
to deliver to people. So took uh, 50 bucks out of the money that I have left, bought a bike. I had to look for, for a shop in Chinatown where I could buy a cheap bike. Um, it was a bike that was literally for, for a girl because it had nice pink <laughs> kind of flurries on it. Uh, so the next day I, 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 I went there with the bike. I went back to the, uh, to the office and they gave me a list of offices where I had to deliver these, these um, packages. Uh, and she said, you need to deliver this by 10 a.m. Or um, there was a certain time uh, that I needed to deliver all of them. I said, sure, yeah, no problem. I didn't know like my way around. I had this small bike and, and all of these parcels. So I, I literally ran to where my best friend's sister worked and I asked for, I, I borrowed a hundred bucks. Uh, I said, can I borrow a hundred dollars? She said, for what? I said, you know, I don't have time to explain, but <laughs> if you, if you um, lend me a hundred dollars, I'll pay you at the end of the week. All right, so she gave me a hundred bucks. So I took a cab. I took a cab, I told the driver, I said, I need to go to all of these places by 10 a.m. And if you are able to do that, I'll give you a hundred bucks, right? So he did that. He, uh, he brought me to all of these places. I delivered all of these things. And right before 10 a.m., we were back um, at the office and I told the woman, yeah, I delivered everything. And she was so impressed that it took me just a short while to do all that she hired me on the spot so that was my first full-time job um was delivering uh, these packages um although <laughs> i literally had to figure out my way around san francisco within a couple of days because i couldn't afford to take cabs every day for every $100, day yeah. for a hundred dollars i'd probably be owing uh, a cab company uh more than i what i would earn in a in a week but uh yeah, that was my first foray in, in trying to figure out, like, you know, you should just say yes to everything that life hurls at you. That's incredible. Uh, <laughs> that is incredible. Yeah, because when, when I was telling the truth, nobody would hire me. So I lied about my age. And if I said no to, do you know, your way around San Francisco, I knew I wasn't going to get the job. And if, mm -hmm. if I told them I didn't have a bike, I knew I wouldn't get the job. So... It was the first lesson in life of always open yourself up to, to whatever opportunity is before you. Because mm -hmm. you can always say no later, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, if I didn't like the job, I could always turn it down. But I wouldn't know it if I, if I didn't take to... it. Yeah. 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 So. How does a decision like that impact the relationship that you have with your father in particular it was tough uh my, my dad didn't like i said before you know it was it was it was not a bad relationship we would we just thought differently uh -huh. like um if i look back maybe when i was 16 i thought it was a bad relationship but it wasn't really it was he's a very loving uh father who, who really just wanted the best for us but uh, his idea of what's best for us is different uh, from my idea of what's best for me. Uh -huh. And that's where the, uh, I think the struggle uh, was really focused on. Um, I didn't ha really have heart-to-heart -heart conversations with him until uh, I was already in my late 30s okay. uh, after my mom passed away. Um, this was 1990, late 1996 um, okay. uh, when she passed away. And after that, he asked me to go home, go back home. So I did. I went back home for a year. 
uh, really trying my best to uh, to restart uh, what I left to to gain back the you know I, I left at 16 now I'm in my mid 30s late 30s going back to Manila trying to get back into that uh, swing of things because um, he and I had a heart to heart talk that my mom really was the glue in our family she brought everybody together uh, and then without her uh, basically the family was was all over the place. all over the place um, so he asked me to go home and and be part of that kind of restarting the the family to be to be united again not that we were not that we um, uh, fighting all the time but we were just looking at now different uh-huh. places under the sun and so I went back home um, my sisters were growing up they were um, in, in college uh, back then my my brothers also had their own life so he my my dad felt like you know where's the family that I was raising right right um, so that was the starting point of, of he and I having these heart-to-heart conversations about well um, that he should have listened more to what I wanted in life because he would have, he would have opened up um, other opportunities. He would have been open. But again, if you have parents who are listening here, I think, I think listening to your children is very important um, because you might have plans for them. Um, uh, but ultimately it's, it's your children's decision, the kind of life that they want to live. Uh And, if there are opportunities you want to offer along the way, it's that's all you can do is offer it. Um, if they take it, great. If they don't take it and they want to do something else, I think that's also something that you need to to support. Um, um, but but he and I have a, have a good relationship now. Um, we're open to each other. I think if I do think if I didn't leave, if I continued just following whatever that is, I think we would have a worse relationship because I would have just been, um, I would just have regretted Mm -hmm. that that kind of path of of choosing a path that wasn't mine. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, um, I would have blamed him for that. But now that that I'm living the life I want, exactly. but now that I've proven that, that the path I took was also something that was good for me, great for me, um, he now understands that. Uh-huh. Um, and, and the fact that I am, um, you know, leading a foundation, I'm an expert in my field, I'm, I'm seen as a leader in my community. Um, he, he respects that a lot. Uh, and he has told me so. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think we would have gone to this point if, if I had stayed, really. Um, I, I, I am really sure of that. Your narrative is very interesting because of the decisions you had made at a very young age when it comes to your sexual orientation and some of the other things. So I'm, I'm curious to know, how did you how did you feel comfortable enough to live within your own skin when some of the things that you were following were against the norm? without seeking external validation from other groups and other people? Or did you end up doing that? Um, 
every time my experience is every time I seek validation from people, I always get disappointed. Mm-hmm. So even even as a even as a kid, even up till now, I always tell my my brothers, sisters, my husband, don't buy me any gifts. Don't give me any presents because I will buy whatever I want or need. Like give me give me a card that has a heartful message, you know, heartfelt message or or I or or here here's a list of things that I would have bought myself. So if you want to buy me a gift, here it buy is. One of these. <laughs> <laughs> um because I've I've every time I seek validation or every time I seek approval from from others, nine times out of ten I would I would be disappointed that they didn't approve of, of what I what I did or how I acted or how I looked even um, even when I was growing up and and, and dating people um, I always ended up well let me let me say this in a, in a um, more sensitive way I I dated people who thought that I I met a certain standard right mm. um uh of of who they wanted to to date so even if i didn't like them but they like tall guys they like checklist asian mm-hmm. guys they like so i said well i don't i don't have any particular feelings for him or i am not really into this sort of type but he likes tall guys he likes asians and he likes um you know guys who like to eat this kind of food so to me it's like um if i if i pass the checklist then all right you know it's i'm validating your (laughs) what you want um and i was always disappointed you know for obvious reasons yeah um because i was always following that kind of um uh a path um so i i earned I learned at that point that you know I'm not I'm not going to seek validation I'm not going to meet your checklist I'm not going to so you know and I'm on my own I'm not I'm not hurting anybody I'm not um, so to me it's like I'd rather I'd rather do things I'd rather make decisions that um, affect me that I like that are my standards right so I'm not I'm not really sure how I got to that kind of of viewpoint but being and you know this being uh-huh. on your own you just have to you, you figure just, it out you, you figure it out on your own yeah. um it's a matter of survival so you make decisions that that make sure that you survive right yeah. um and then you get to a point wherein the first person that you really want to please is yourself Mm-hmm. Um, that pleasing other people doesn't really produce anything else yeah. <laughs> outside of pleasing them. Yeah. But you're miserable, and and I always hearken back to that point of hey, you know, I was trying to please my father. I was trying to please my my family in terms of what they want me to be doing. It it wasn't making me happy, mm-hmm. or it wasn't making me feel fulfilled. So I just I just followed with that rule. Um, so. I recently wrote an article that talked about times when some of us might have had to compromise our values. Right. 
And what was interesting to me about it was there was a one of the people that's within my network, he commented on it and he said that, you know, your values are really just one of the more real things that you have. Mm -hmm. And so as part of that, when you come to a, a point in your life when you are able to be real with yourself, which it, it takes time. I mean, it, it takes a lot of, I think, um, acceptance and forgiveness right. that you have to go through different layers to figure that out. But what I've learned is that the more true you can be to yourself mm -hmm. and the more you are not um, banking on other, pleasing other people or satisfying others because, you know, if I learned anything in life is that you can't please everyone. Exactly. The only person you can truly please is yourself. That's right. That's right. Um, because even if you may agree with my actions and whatever else now, Tomorrow may change. Exactly. Tomorrow you'll get exactly. to, how, how could I say yes to an opportunity with That's this right. person because now they're, you know, X, Y, and Z. That's right. So I've always learned that you, you just have to, you have to respect yourself and you have to love yourself enough that no matter what, you're going to stay true to that. That's right. I mean, it also, it, it taught that, I learned that in, in various ways. Um, even with respects to uh, to money, right? Mm -hmm. So I grew up. Everything was provided to me, mm -hmm. um, and then suddenly on my own, I said, "Well, you know, should I should I buy the steak? I have eight dollars in my pocket. <laughs> should I buy the steak, or should I buy you know that I can eat one time, <laughs> mm -hmm. or should I buy like a twelve pack of Nissan's ramen noodles, right?" Mm -hmm. um, there were occasions where, I, well, but I'm used to eating steak i'm used to eating ice cream for dessert i'm used to you know i don't want i don't want to suddenly change and deprive yourself and deprive myself yeah. because of a decision i make right mm -hmm. I, I this is how i grew up like i ate what i wanted yeah. um and suddenly you realize you can't <laughs> so how do you how do you and, and this was i remember I was still, I, you know, I, I just moved to San Francisco. I was dealing with this question because my paycheck, after paying my rent, after paying utilities, after pay, saving money for transportation, and I literally had like less than $30 for the month to buy food. Um, and I suddenly realized I can't live the life that I used to live. I uh -huh. can't have the lifestyle that I used to have. Um, Sure, $30 a month, I can buy a $6 piece of steak. Um, but then that means $24 for, for <laughs> everything else I need, right? So these kinds of decisions, suddenly you realize, okay, is, is, is living that kind of lifestyle important for you enough to be able to sacrifice other things or, or really know how to budget 30 bucks, right? And if, if ramen noodles is all you can afford and... You know, you can't you can't buy soda. Just yeah. live on water. These are choices that you have to make um, when you're suddenly faced with that kind of dilemma. Um, and to me, it was really questioning the value I have for money, questioning the value of um, you know, if I have to maintain the lifestyle that I grew up in, then I have to work harder. <laughs> mm -hmm. I have to earn more money. I have. You know, and then suddenly you realize, yeah, I, I really have to have to, the credentials to be able to get that job that has a higher level of income. Um, so you really need to make sacrifices uh, in order to get. You don't just wake up and then suddenly somebody's paying you 
$100,000 a year, right? Uh, that may have been true before, um, but not anymore. Mm -hmm. So I was really confronted with a lot, a lot of those daily decisions. Um, just walking down grocery aisles. Oh, I used to eat that. And now I can't afford that anymore. Or even the apartment I was looking at, you know, I, was, you know, I had my own bedroom with uh -huh. an air conditioner, right? <laughs> and uh, growing up, and then suddenly I was looking at these apartments that didn't have air conditioning or were in a bad section of, of the neighborhood or, you know, was, in, was on the seventh floor of a building that didn't have elevators. Um, so it was that kind of, you know, you're confronted by these choices now of was this worth it? You know, this, this whole bottom line of all these sacrifices, was it worth it? Um, because life could become easier if you just go back Choose home the other route. Yeah. and say, I'm sorry, you were right. But deep down in me, I couldn't do that. Uh -huh. So the only, the only path forward was, okay, yeah, suck it up, you know, swallow, uh, swallow your decision and, and live with it. Uh -huh. Right. Um, so yeah. Now, was there shame or guilt involved when you were walking down those grocery aisles and oh, yeah. not being able to afford X, Y, and Z and oh, having yeah. to go from... I, I notice it now more <laughs> and more. It's kind of an interesting society that we live in because the grocery store is clearly divided. Organic right. and normal. That's right. And if you're not shopping in this aisle, then you can just see by the way people look at you. That's right. People pass you by. And it, it just made me think that your choice of not um, buying organic may not be for the reason that you can't afford it. Right. It's your belief. That's right. That it, this type of banana is may not it may not be that much different than the other one, but there's still a huge divide that happens within that. So I'm curious to know in your case, when you were having to go from not purchasing the steak instead of buying a pack of ramen <laughs> noodles, like did that affect you somehow? It, it, it affected me in such a way that um, I didn't feel like I was privileged anymore. You know, okay. there was one way, you know, one, one side of me was growing up like very privileged. Um, and then now suddenly on my own, I, I am no longer, I no longer have that status. Mm -hmm. It was very, it was, it was eye opening about this whole experience of being privileged, um, which I still carry now. Um, that's why I'm very sensitive when, when, you know, decisions that we make, my husband and I as a couple, or even just, uh, the kind of, um, everyday actions, uh -huh. um, I'm very sensitive to, am I acting in a, in a privileged manner? Um, or is there another way that I should be, uh, behaving, but just the simple act of walking down the supermarket aisle, um, made me realize that, um, no, you can't afford a steak. So why would you even <laughs> consider that, consider right? It, yeah. um, and there's nothing wrong with eating ramen noodles um, outside of the <laughs> nutrition content of it. Being able to afford ramen noodles doesn't make you, or being able to afford only ramen noodles doesn't make me less of a person. Correct. Um, just because that I can only afford, you know, the... At that point, uh, a 38 cent can of, of, of can ravioli doesn't make me uh, less of a person than if I can make hand tossed uh, ravioli pasta, mm -hmm. right? 
doesn't doesn't make me any different mm-hmm. um you know um i had i had to swallow that and digest that as i was growing up that am i less of a person because i am no longer privileged um or at least my thinking was you know we were we were um well off family when i was growing up as a kid am i less of a person now that i can only afford this kind of apartment in this section of the neighborhood and can only afford ramen noodles for the week mm-hmm. um i struggled with that a lot that i wasn't worth it mm-hmm. um and that somehow i gave up that luxury to become a lesser person uh it's only now that that i'm talking to you that i only realized no i wasn't I wasn't a lesser person. I still had the talents I had then. I still had the mm-hmm. attitude that I had then. Um, you were just in a different status. When different status. Um, um, it was really just, uh, you know, a mere function of affordability. But mm-hmm. personhood, mm-hmm. still the Capabilities same. Capabilities were That's all right. the same. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Final thought for today's episode, and this is a question that I ask all, all of our mm-hmm. guests in the show. Who or what are you grateful for today? Oh, I'm, I'm grateful for the work I'm able to do now because um, I'm letting every young person that the foundation touches or serves to be able to tell them real literally, you know, the world is at your feet, you know, that you can really pave the path for yourself and you can really design the life that you want to live mm-hmm. without any judgment, without any kind of dictate that you should do this or you should do that. Um, I'm very grateful for that opportunity. I can't imagine myself doing any kind of work mm-hmm. um, outside of this opening up opportunities and, and, and sparking passion uh, for young people. Um, I'm glad, I'm glad I'm doing this work and I'm very thankful every day that I'm able to wake up in the morning and, and do this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very uh, meaningful to me. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that you guys have coming up through the foundation that people can be involved somehow or take a part of? Uh, we're very busy now. We're preparing for our uh, fall gala on November 17th. So mm-hmm. we're now busy it's promoting gonna it. Austin, it's going to be here Texas. in Austin. So Sunday, November 17th, we're featuring SEAL uh in our gala that's our biggest fundraiser for the year we're also gearing up for the new school year because we provide uh grants and supports to uh, a lot of obstacle programs to come into the schools that we partner with mm-hmm. uh, so we're getting ready for that um i just told you we just finished our six-week summer learning program last friday so we're excited about the fact that we were able to uh, serve almost 300 students uh, that's incredible this summer um and open up the world so they they really were exposed to uh five different sports um robotics uh stem um arts enrichment music literally that that you know whatever you want to be exposed to in terms of these kinds of learning opportunities we we really brought um a wide array of, of uh, learning programs over uh-huh. the six week period so we were very excited about that so now this is now the time for, for the staff to take a breath, um, take, a, take some time off because come school year, you know, when the new school year starts, new cycle. We're, we're back up again to that kind of uh, 
you know, different sets of programming. So now for yeah. those that don't know much about the foundation, tell us a little bit about what makes it different and why is it why does it exist in the first place? Sure. Well the mission of the foundation is to really work with the community to expand opportunities for young people to learn, thrive and succeed. And Andy started this twenty years ago and he's very sure and very clear in his mind that he wanted to really provide opportunities for young people to ignite their passion, discover their passion, and, and reach their full potential. Was that something that was personally fueled? Yes, yes. Uh, he, he, he himself will tell you the story of he wasn't very engaged as a student inside the classroom, but uh, during an after-school program when he was nine and held a tennis racket, discovered that, wow, you know, that this is really something that he was good at, mm-hmm. found his passion. He wants that kind of opportunity for young people now. It doesn't have to be tennis. It could be music. It could mm-hmm. be uh, science. It could be, it could be arts, mm-hmm. uh, or it could be sports. Um, but to him, it's very important that we expose young people to different sets of, of interests so that they can really discover mm-hmm. um, where their heart uh, uh, lies. Um, but what makes us different is, in addition to running our own programs, we also support other programs. We invest in we we invest in other programs. We provide grants to other organizations. We share resources, mm-hmm. um, and community partnerships is a, is an important part of our strategy. So we're not only here to run our own programs, but we also want to make sure others are also able to run their programs in a high quality fashion. So we're 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 really doing this together and we're really embracing the community That's as awesome. we as we do this so yeah. well richard thank you so much no this is great thank so, you thank you this is a great opportunity thank you for being a wonderful guest and so we'll um i hope that we stay in touch and Terrific. learn more about your foundation and possible ways that we can continue to work together most definitely and my pleasure thank you Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't done so already, feel free to subscribe to our monthly newsletter so you can receive all of our latest episodes, featured stand-up and speak-up stories, and ways you can be involved with Overcoming Odds. Once again, thank you for listening, and we'll look forward to having you next week.